Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Gut Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Neil Parikh, and today we're back in the GI 101 series. And in this series today, we have Dr. Kamesh Gupta from Bay State. He's one of the second-year gastroenterology fellows at Bay State, and he's going to talk to us today about hepatitis C. Kamesh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Neil. I'm so stoked to be here. So hepatitis C um, is pretty common, and it's something that we encounter both in primary care and obviously gastroenterology, hepatology, and the guidelines have changed over the past, at least during my my timeline uh, in medicine, where now there's actually screening recommended for everybody. Uh, can you tell our listeners more about the screening recommendations and maybe why the United States Task Force made this recommendation? Yes, absolutely. So the United States Task Force currently recommends screening for hepatitis C infection in adults aged 18 to 79 years. Uh, this is hepatitis C is the most common chronic bloodborne infection in the U.S. and accounts for more deaths than the next 60 infectious diseases combined together. Isn't wow. that crazy? Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. So screening for hepatitis C is simple. It only needs a blood test to check for antibodies. USPTF made this recommendation to screen because of the widespread prevalence of the virus high morbidity and mortality associated with the disease, the simple, inexpensive, and non-invasive screening method, and if it turns out to be positive, highly effective treatment available for the hepatitis C infection. Most adults need to be screened only once. However, some patients who are at increased risk, such as IV drug users, may need repeated screening. Wow, I did not know that fact that it's more common then the next other, would you say other 60 infectious uh, combined? Other 60 blood-borne infectious diseases. Blood-borne, okay. Okay. Yes. okay, and that makes sense. Like you said, it's, it's you know, we'll probably talk about the diagnosis testing in a few minutes, but if it's yes. if it's widespread, it's common, if it's easy to screen for, it's non-invasive screening, and with good treatment, it should be yeah. part of our screening guidelines. Exactly. USPTF takes all these factors into account when it gives its recommendation. So what are the most common risk factors? What should our patients be looking out for uh, risk factor of hepatitis C? So in current day and age, the most important risk factor for hepatitis C virus is past or current injection drug use or IV drug use. Uh, in the past, it, in the US, it was more because of blood transfusions. However, in the past couple of decades, there've been increased testing of every blood product that we give, hence the incidence of transmission due to uh, blood transfusions has decreased. The uh, In the U.S., recent increases in hep C incidence have predominantly been amongst young persons who inject drugs. Approximately one-third of uh, IV drug users are infected with hepatitis C, and 70 to 90 percent of older IV drug users are also infected. Another risk factor is direct transmission from a hepatitis C infected mother. So um, 
to give you an example from 2011 to 2014 about 1% of pregnant women tested had positive hepatitis C infection um, and 68% of uh, infants born to these mothers turned out to be hepatitis C positive as well. Wow, that's again, you know, you look at 1% of all pregnant women, that's a large number uh, right. to, to test positive for hepatitis C. So let's talk about this testing. You said it was easy. It's a blood test. So how do you diagnose hepatitis C? Yeah. So initial screening or diagnostic evaluation for chronic hepatitis C typically begins with an antibody test. A reactive or indeterminate uh, antibody test should be followed up with hepatitis C RNA testing. So if the uh, hepatitis C RNA is detected, the diagnosis of hepatitis C infection is confirmed at that point. If RNA is not detected, then a reactive antibody test likely represents a past infection uh, that was subsequently cleared, or maybe a false positive test, which is quite rare. He, uh, patients on hemodialysis or transplant patients, or those with advanced HIV disease may have higher rate of false negative testing um, and then they would require further virus, viral load testing. Okay, so that's important. So dialysis, trans, I guess immunosuppression from transplant recipients yeah. or, you know, if you're immunosuppressed from advanced HIV. Okay. Um, exactly. Obviously, we're going to talk about advanced liver disease briefly at the end of the episode, but what are some yeah. symptoms of hepatitis C? Again, for our, our listeners, are there symptoms? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... So there are two kinds. You can have the acute hepatitis C infection or the more common, the chronic hepatitis C infection. So majority of the patients with acute hepatitis C are asymptomatic. Amongst those who have symptoms, uh, the commonly reported symptoms are jaundice, dark urine, pale or white stools, nausea, and abdominal pain. So at this stage, if it is left untreated, it leads to the development of chronic infection uh, after about six months in about three-fourths of the patients. And patients who have the other kind, the chronic infection, often have no symptoms until their liver becomes scarred, or in other words, they develop the advanced liver disease. And at that stage, the symptoms can be abdominal pain, swelling due to fluid, jaundice, confusion, bleeding, and easy bruciability. Okay, so obviously we would we want to catch people before they get to the scarred or cirrhosis or cirrhotic phase, um, and I guess that leads to my next question: is you know you mentioned earlier there's new treatment modalities and they're much more effective. So when should we think about treatment for HCV? Right. So all patients with evidence, biological evidence of chronic hepatitis C infection that's detectable viral load over a period of six months should be considered for treatment. In the United States, the high prices of these oral antiviral regimens have garnered substantial attention amongst medical and lay communities. Several studies have suggested that these regimens, even at their high cost, are cost-effective for most populations, uh, including those with advanced liver disease, because of the superior efficacy in clinical trials. Hence, as a result, now most insurances in most states cover hepatitis C treatment. So I know, you know, a lot has changed. I think I'm going to age myself a little bit saying that when I was 
in training, all the regimens were interferon based. And you just mentioned all oral antiviral uh, regimens. So mm. what are, you know, without getting to too specific, you know, nitty gritty with the regimens, what are some of the common regimens currently used? So the intro introduction of direct antiviral agents, uh, which is the currently used regimen, which is non-interferon based, they target specific non-structural proteins of the hepatitis C virus and thus disrupt viral replication and infection. This has revolutionized therapy of hepatitis C infection. It is highly effective, well-tolerated, all oral regimen and has become the treatment of choice for vast majority of the hep C infected patients. These treatments result in complete cure in 95 to 99% of cases with the eight to 12 week course of tablets. Wow, in nice. patients who were, uh, who were not cured as well, there is second line and third line treatment available as well. And that's, those are remarkable numbers. Again, I remember very vividly, those are not the numbers that I was, <laughs> I was told and the ones we were dealing with when, you know, when I was in, you know, residency fellowship. Um, you mentioned cirrhosis earlier, and you know, as we wrap up the episode, I do want to give our listeners a sense of, you know, warning as to what advanced liver disease looks like, mm -hmm. um, just so you know they can lead to more conversations with their gastroenterologists and hepatologists. So, uh, what are signs of advanced liver disease or cirrhosis? Right. So there can be a whole podcast on this where yeah, we talk about true. cirrhosis. Uh, cirrhosis is a late stage of scarring or fibrosis of the liver. And the scarring is usually irreversible. Cirrhosis has no signs or symptoms until the liver disease is extensive. When symptoms and signs do occur, they may include fatigue, easy, easy bleeding, bruising, loss of appetite, nausea, swelling in your legs or belly, weight loss, itchy skin, jaundice, spider-like blood vessels on your skin, or redness in your palms. For women, they can be absent or loss of periods not related with menopause. And in men, there can be loss of sex drive or breast enlargement. At, at extreme late stages, confusion, drowsiness, and slurred speech can also occur. So to our listeners who are non-medical, Kamish just mentioned quite a few symptoms there. And I, and I always caution listeners when we talk symptoms, many of these are nonspecific and can describe a variety of disease states, both serious and non-serious disease states. So just remember, this is just to lead to more conversations with your providers, you know, if you feel like you may fall into one of these categories. So, Kamish, uh, this may be a silly question, but when do you refer a patient to a liver center or a hepatologist? Well, that's a great question. So, uh at this stage, when patient is at advanced liver disease, patient must be evaluated by a liver disease specialist or a hepatologist. Patients might not need a liver transplant right away, depending on what stage of disease they are, but they should be considered for the treatment of hepatitis C and for management of other conditions due to their cirrhosis. Treatment of hepatitis C can be performed either by a gastroenterologist or an infectious disease specialist. Kamish, thank you so much. This this was great. Um, I think this was a very nice introductory overview of hepatitis C. Um, I think both for our listeners and medical and non-medical, it's nice to get a quick update. Um, 
I know things have changed quite a bit, like we talked about in the past 10 years in hepatitis C management. Um, so hopefully this was valuable to all. I really appreciate your time. And, you know, like you said, cirrhosis can be an entire episode all by itself. So maybe, uh, you know, I can convince you to do one more episode with me in a few weeks or so. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Neil, for having me here. Of course. Have a great night. You do.